Hey folks, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you've been listening to the Whitfield Report for a while and you're starting to think to yourself, hey, you know what? I could do this podcast thing, but where the hell do I start? Well, folks, I've had a lot of friends ask me that in the last few weeks, and I'm here to tell you all that Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. This means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. You're damn right that's what I'm doing. And what I like about Anchor is that whether you're a novice or an expert, it's incredibly easy to use. They have uh, great tools that you can use to record and edit your podcast if you're a novice just starting out. Or if you're like me and you're an old pro at this, you can bring your own tools and record your audio and then upload the files yourselves. Whichever way you podcast, it's extremely easy to use Anchor, and I highly recommend them. So get started today by going to anchor.fm forward slash start. And I can't wait to hear your podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Now go out there and make some podcasts. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Whitfield Report. This week's guest, I finally do have a guest, by the way, is Joshua Johnson, my colleague from American Watchmen. And we're talking about the seer strikes that have occurred uh, last night actually, by the time you're uh, hearing this, Donald Trump launched strikes on uh, Syria in retaliation for uh, Assad allegedly using Syrian gas to attack the rebels. So we have that, ladies and gentlemen, and uh Josh was kind enough to come in and speak with me about that. So without further ado, here is the full show from April 14th, 2018. And thank you for listening, and God bless, and God save this great nation. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are live. Welcome to the Whitfield Report. I am your host, Sam Whitfield, broadcasting live from NGC Studios here in Southern Florida. And I want to thank you so much for joining me tonight. Let's get right down to business, shall we? Tonight's show is going to be a little different from 
the usual. I actually do have a guest on tonight's show. Joshua Johnson, my colleague at American Watchmen, will be uh, joining me to talk about Trump's actions in Syria that were taken last night. I was actually on one of the unbearable uh, live streams last night when that happened. And uh, so we're going to be talking about that. Now, Josh and I, neither of us, for those of you who have listened to the podcast before, neither of us are um, big on intervention in Syria. And we've made that pretty public, both of us. Josh was actually on the program last year after uh, the Syria strike, and we talked about how the strike in Syria could be uh, potentially disastrous last year, and how it's just not good. So uh, we're going to be talking about Syria tonight. But in the meantime, uh, for those watching on YouTube, like, hike, and bear share, and feel free to chime in in the comments. I'll be checking the comments live during the show, although it is pre-recorded an interview, so that's what I'll be playing. Um, and then for those of you watching on Periscope, as always, you can, uh, as my... F- as uh, Lee Stranahan would say, uh, retweet this puppy on uh, Periscope, and be sure to uh, retweet and give hearts. You can give me super hearts, too, if you want to. I still don't understand what those are, really, but I appreciate them nonetheless. And uh, so I, I want to thank people who are already chiming in. And without further ado, uh, let's begin the interview with uh, Joshua Johnson. I think it should be good. Enjoy. All right, folks. So for today on the podcast, I am finally, uh, I finally have a guest on the podcast. It's a, uh, a repeat guest. Uh, but Joshua Johnson is my colleague at American Watchmen. Uh, he's one of the... Hold, hold on a sec there, folks. The uh, the video was playing for me just a second ago. I don't know what's happening. It should have started playing, but it's not. So let me... Bear with me in the technical difficulties. Um, well, I sort this out. It should start playing. Okay. Yeah, this, I know, technical hookups, I'm still trying to, uh, I'm still trying to learn the, uh, OBS software, uh, thanks for, uh, quick sharing, Canabare. Let's see, we will, we will get this, uh, interview 
started, it's more of a case of uh, if the file will, will work. Which it should, because it did earlier. Okay, uh, let's see. Okay, uh, let's see here. Hmm. Well, the, uh, this is weird. The file is not playing. So I guess this is the episode where, uh, OBS ate my file or something like that. Let me, uh, let me just try something here real quick. Thanks for, uh, thanks for bearing with me. Why sort, sort this out. Let's see if this works now. Yep. All right, folks. So for today on the podcast, I am finally, uh, I finally have a guest on the podcast. It's a, uh, a repeat guest. Uh, but Joshua Johnson is my colleague at American Watchmen. Uh, he's one of the co-founders and editors, and he's... Most notably, probably our top foreign policy expert. And with all the crap going on in uh, Sierra right now, I figured uh, we would, I would invite him on the show. So, uh, Josh, thanks for coming on. And uh, I guess first question is: Is World War Three looming? Oh uh, well, it's good to be on the show. Uh, thanks for having me back on again. Uh, I don't think World War III is looming, but I would say that I think the hands on the uh, clock are definitely a few more minutes closer to midnight, and that we are certainly not in an international climate right now that's conducive to peace. Um, Regarding the the attack on Syria last night, uh, thank God not a single, uh, as the Russian Ministry of Defense reported this morning, Not a single Syrian civilian was killed, nor anybody within the Syrian military. Um, And, you know, it's even, you know, even if Syrian military personnel had been killed in the strike, which would have been horrible, horribly tragic. uh, You know, it's it's a shame when anyone dies. Uh, Even if they had been, I don't think that would have triggered World War Three. I think the biggest risk out of running these types of strikes on Syria is what would happen if we had killed Russian or Iranian personnel on the ground there. Uh, According to the Russian Ministry of Defense, our rockets, the areas that we had been targeting, were not actually within within range 
of any of their uh, defense areas. Uh, whether or not that is believable or not, we can't tell. But we know that uh, for sure, we know that the Russian uh, anti-air, air surface-to-air missiles, defense systems were uh, up the snuff because that's what the Syrian army uses. And of this 100-something missiles that we had shot at uh, Damascus last night, over 70 were shot down. And there actually is video. Uh, it's, it's pretty incredible to watch, actually, of the uh, Syrian surface-to-air missiles taking out our Tomahawk cruise missiles in the air. Well, well, we're going to be uh, playing that on the side feed he- here so uh, viewers can can see that. Um, now, you mentioned before we started the this uh, interview that you had some breaking news about Syria, uh, and we might as well get in- into that. So what do you have for uh, us? I did. So this morning at the United Nations Security Council, uh, the United States envoy Nikki Haley is already warning that uh, if Syria uses chemical weapons again, the United States is locked and loaded, quote unquote, to go in and uh, take them out. But is that not what is that not an open admission that the Syrian regime never had any chemical weapons to begin with? Because after all, last night's attack was supposed to be we were told that we were striking the Syrian regime's chemical weapons capabilities, uh, facilities that produce chemical weapons, storehouses that might be stockpiling chemical weapons, and uh, air bases that would serve as delivery systems for those chem- chemical weapons, you know, in the in the planes. But uh, as far as I can tell, there should have been nothing for us to strike, which is why I don't buy the story, and I don't think anyone should buy the story, that we were striking at their chemical weapons capabilities last night. We were striking at their air capabilities because that has been the single biggest uh, factor in Assad's success against the terrorists is ability to conduct airstrikes on them, not with chemical weapons, but with conventional arms. The uh, State Department in 2014, along with the United Nations, after our deal with the, uh, with the Russians and Syrians to uh, dismantle the Syrian chemical weapons program, both our State Department and the UN confirmed that they had dismantled and handed over all of their chemical weapons. And yet the attacks continued to happen, and our State Department blamed Assad under both Obama and now Trump. So how can Nikki Haley be saying, if we took out his alleged capabilities, which he shouldn't have had by our own admission in the first place, if we had taken those out last night, how could he launch another chemical strike? I think, you know, going back to your first question about the possibility of a world war or a uh, more uh, or a wider war, the Syrian war becoming uh, escalating even further, I think the greatest risk now is what happens after another chemical strike is ta- is staged by the terrorists framing the Syrian government. Because each time we have seen this since Trump has become president, he's actually gotten bigger and bigger. First, in 2000, that airbase had been projecting. Uh, now, after uh, another alleged chemical attack that uh, nobody has been able to verify who did it yet, the OPCW investigators are just going in this morning, we uh, see uh, multiple airstrikes against primarily Damascus, but if you look at the map of our targets, it's actually fairly well spread out against uh, all of uh, Syria. Uh, we even hit the Aleppo International Airport, as I understand it. Uh, so what happens next time after another staged chemical attack? Will that be the excuse used by Trump and others in the United States uh, federal government and the establishment to push for all-out war and invasion? I, I hope that we never have to find out. But I think that's the greatest risk we have going forward, 
And the fact that Nikki Haley is admitting that this morning at the United Nations would seem to me to be proof that our le- it's almost a blatant admission that our leaders are lying. Because why would you have to warn the Syrians not to use chemical weapons again if we had allegedly taken them all out last night, as Trump indicated this morning with his tweets claiming it was, quote unquote, mission accomplished? The, the thing that has always kind of uh, bothered me about this whole thing with Syria, and uh, we talked about this last year when you were on the, the first time that this happened, um, which, you know, I, I can't believe I can't believe that was a year ago time. Time certainly does fly, but one thing that really has kind of bothered me is the fact that uh, even the even the New York Times this morning I was reading uh, in their headline admitted that this was an alleged um, chemical attack. Now that doesn't sit too well with with me because I don't like the idea of us attacking Sierra based on like an alleged chemical attack. I mean that that. That's like saying that you're going to uh, prosecute a bank robber on an alleged, you know, robbery that they may have committed, but that they, you know, but there's like a 10% chance that they might not have, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe, that, maybe that's like okay. a poor, poor analogy, but, you know, I feel like we're kind of doing the same thing We're we're striking uh you know, we're striking at Sierra when there's a when there's still like a you know chance that they weren't the ones responsible. Well, there are a few important things to remember here. First off, uh, as as uh, Secretary of Defense Mattis admitted yesterday, we do not have any actual evidence that the Syrian government did it. What we and nor do we even have any evidence that a chemical attack occurred. That's what the what the where the alleged part comes in now i'm fairly certain that a chemical attack did occur but i'll go into that later i just don't think that the syrian government did it um but mattis admitted we have no evidence that an attack even occurred what we have is uh some video from social media that cannot be verified because it was taken on the ground by biased activists uh from jesh al-islam uh in the united kingdom it's even more farcical because this morning Theresa may was discussing it and she's actually calling uh, the social media posts, quote unquote, open source intelligence. So she's saying we launched these airstrikes based on open source intelligence we had, which basically translates to we're launching these airstrikes based on some videos we saw on the internet, but we, we're not really sure if they're telling the truth or not. Uh, which is ir- all the more ironic when you when you think about it, because wasn't after the the 2016 election, wasn't everybody and their brother freaking out about news on the media and how it could be fake and how just because you saw stuff on the internet didn't mean it didn't mean it was true. Now right. suddenly the same people are saying, oh my God, I saw a video on the internet. It's definitely true. We have to go and attack. Um, The second thing that's important to remember is that uh, there has been no formal investigation yet. The uh, United Nations has uh, not been able to get down in there. It was, in fact, interesting because the OPCW uh, just announced yesterday, I think about an hour before Trump came out and announced that we would begin bombing they announced yesterday that they would be going to Syria, to Duma, to actually begin a, a formal investigation into the attacks. And then we couldn't wait for that. We just decided to go and bomb, which is a violation of international law, because Syria is a UN member state, and they are entitled to an investigation. And the interesting thing about that is that in 2013's attack, the Syrian government, excuse me, the Syrian government uh, was able to get UN investigators on the ground. And in the 2013 attack, the UN found no evidence that the Syrian government had actually committed it. They cleared them. 
and if you remember, there have been to date, I believe, four chemical, four major chemical attacks. Uh, the 2013 one I just referenced. There was another one in 2015 where Obama caught uh, crap for allegedly not enforcing his red line again, uh, which I might add is marked nonsense because we have been bombing Syria almost constantly now for uh, the, for almost since the beginning of the Civil War. Obama Obama was is just as guilty of uh, bombing Syria as Trump is. It's just that the media didn't want to make him look like a warmonger, so they don't praise it. They didn't praise him quite as well, although they did make clear he was arming the terrorists. Uh, but that's a bit on a tangent. So there was the 2013 one, the 2015 one, the 2017 one, and now the one in Duma a few days ago. And uh, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I am wrong, but I can just see, and perhaps maybe it'll be another year to the day, because if I'm not mistaken, I think the one last year was in April as well. But maybe next April, we'll see another chemical attack staged by the terrorists, and our government will immediately rush to blaming Assad based on some sketchy, based on some sketchy videos they saw on the internet. And that might spark a war. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm afraid that's where this might eventually lead to. Yeah, well, what, well, like I, like I said a few minutes ago, I mean, I I checked the uh, the podcast archive uh, a few minutes ago, and I I think uh, the last time I had you on to talk about Syria was actually like maybe not a year to the day, but was it was around this this time last year that I had you on to discuss the uh the syria attack too so uh you know that's uh you know that's kind of eerie that that it's happened so you know close to the to the last one Mm -hmm. um now i do agree with you that there actually is an attack right now uh as you just said, there's no evidence to suggest that Syria has done it. Uh, I have my theories as to who is behind the attack, but uh, do you have any theories that on your end as to who might be responsible? Well, there are two groups that I would immediately suspect in this uh, particular case. Uh, the first most obvious one would be uh, Jaysh al-Islam, which translates to the Army of Islam, and they were the uh, Islamist terrorist group that was occupying Duma at the time of the attack. They were trying to uh, to prevent the Syrian Arab Army, the SAA, from uh, liberating the city at the time. And so they would be my first suspect, obviously, just because they were the ones that uh, were in control of the ground there. It would be incredibly easy for them to either stage an attack or to uh, set off a chemical weapon of their own making in the uh, city square. Uh, the other suspect I would have, and uh, I say this only because they've shown up at almost all of the other chemical attack uh, areas. I'm not quite sure if they were in uh, Duma or not, though, uh, Was is the Syrian White Helmets. And they are allegedly a, uh, a humanitarian organization, but the interesting thing, and they're called the White Helmets because they wear these sort of white helmets to uh, identify themselves, the idea right, being yeah. that, that like the Red Cross, you know, you won't get shot or whatever. But uh, they are Saudi-funded. And uh, they happen to turn, and they're also oftentimes where you get these videos coming out of Syria saying, oh, help us, help us. There's very coordinated, very biased activists with a, engaged in a coordinated media campaign. But uh, they are always there where whenever you have a chemical attack, allegedly to do humanitarian work. But there has been, there have been a number of uh, instances where their uh, official stories don't line up with the facts on the ground and where they themselves are in areas where they shouldn't have been. 
Uh, I wouldn't rate them as highly as suspects as I would Jay Shal Islam uh, for obvious reasons. One is a terror group. The other one is at, at worst a, uh, a armed, uh, an armed group uh, functioning for the Saudi government. But and, 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 in, and in any event, I should note that the Saudis are arming the terrorists as well as the White Helmets and, uh, and, and funding them. But those would be my two immediate uh, suspects. Uh, and, I, and the reason I would suspect Jaysh al-Islam and any quote-unquote rebel, rebel group in particular is because for the past almost two years now, the Syrian Arab army has been finding evidence of uh, chemical makeshift chemical weapons workshops in cities such as Aleppo and eastern Ghouta, where they are seeing that where, where they're finding evidence that the terrorists were attempting or successfully even manufacturing small chemical weapons, the kind that could be used to stage e to either launch a successful chemical attack, which is what I think is most likely, or B, just enough to stage an attack and then get the appropriate uh, chemicals onto people to make it appear as though they were involved in an actual attack. But I think the former is more likely. I think they're actually producing uh, chemical bombs, which they are able to plant in uh, highly populated areas, areas with high concentrations of people, and then set off and make it look like the Syrian government has uh, has launched the attack. Very uh, well. Th there's there's a lot to uh, unpack there, uh, for for sure. So I guess I guess the next question is, um, if Syria isn't responsible for this, why? I mean, it's it's been proven in the past that they haven't been responsible for these attacks. So why does why do the neocons and um, the the war machine why do they keep pushing the the Sierra narrative when clearly there's evidence to contradict that uh, Sierra is responsible. Well, there's a, there's a very simple reason. Uh, there are multiple reasons, I should say, but they're all relatively simple ones for why the uh, not just the neocons, but the establishment left and right, why the military industrial complex uh, so desperately wants regime change in Syria. Uh, and, I, and these are in I'm going to list them off. I'm not listing them off in any particular order, uh, but just as they come to mind. Uh, first, I would say the oil companies who have reason to want to go into Syria, where most oil companies are state owned. So uh, the, the oil companies in Wall Street are not profiting off these companies. They're state-owned Syrian oil companies. Want to go in there and take the oil. Uh, particularly, they want to gain control over Aleppo because underneath Aleppo, there are there's a network of oil pipelines which control the flow of oil throughout most of the region, particularly going into and coming out of Iran. Uh, you control Aleppo. This is why that was the, the focal point for so long. You control Aleppo and you control the flow of the oil. So that would be one reason. The other reason is because the Syrian government has dumped the dollar, and this would be why Wall Street in particular doesn't want to, wants to have regime change. The Syrian government has dumped the dollar, and they are one of uh, several countries across the world that does not have any IMF debt. Uh, the, and if you notice, uh, countries that tend to buck from the IMF, like uh, Venezuela, for example, or uh, obviously Syria or Iran, Whenever they, they buck the dollar and go against the IMF, suddenly Wall Street begins to paint them in not so pretty of colors, uh, regardless of if they're uh, democratic or if they are a dictatorship. Uh, so that's another reason. The uh, third reason 
would be the arms industry, the war lobby. Uh, they make money in any war, regardless of who it is against. And right. uh, that that's, you know, that's a given. And then finally, I would say, and this is more of a, this is perhaps the only, you know, and all these other reasons you can see uh, clear examples of monetary gain to be had uh, for in, in getting a regime change in Syria. But this is one of the few where it seems to be almost purely political. And that would be the imperialist motive. Uh, and this would be uh, where I think John McCain and co sort of fit in. Although, of course, there's no doubt in my mind he is influenced by his campaign donors. But uh, that is because Syria has, since the 1970s, been a Russian ally. The uh, Russian uh, port in, I believe, uh, Tartus, uh, Syria, and I'm probably butchering that name, Tartus or Tartus, uh, Syria, is uh, Russia's only access to the Mediterranean Sea. And so those who are Russophobic and who want to uh, to uh, to sort of box Russia in and take Russia over, just like they want to Syria, will obviously want to have regime change in Syria in order to get rid of that Russian naval base there. Uh, and also because they just want to have a government in Syria that will do what it is told by the United States. I think in the United Kingdom right now, you get, we're, we're seeing a pretty clear example of this because in the UK, they obviously took part in the attacks last night. But their uh, people were not informed by Prime Minister Theresa May until about 30 minutes after Trump made the announcement. So imagine that, hearing that your country is bombing some, some other country, and you find that out from another country's president telling you that your army is helping his army attack someone else before your own government says it. Uh, and she didn't even allow, she didn't even allow this time uh, for parliaments to consult or have a vote on whether or not this military action should be undertaken probably because she knew that uh, the government would lose the vote in parliament just like they did in 2013. But it's it's just incredibly telling. And I think uh, opposition leader Jeremy Corbyn is doing a brilliant job of highlighting this, how the United Kingdom essentially just did what America wanted it to, even though the majority of its own people were not wanting to be part of this. And even though if it were brought to a vote, the majority of parliament would probably not want to be involved in this. But Theresa May went ahead, did what Donald Trump told her, and then her, the British people didn't even find out until afterwards. It is a perfect example of American imperialism. In fact, in the United Kingdom, as I understand it, their Trident nuclear defense system cannot be activated without first, which is their, uh, their nuclear weapons program, uh, which I am against. But uh, they cannot activate it. They can't do anything with it until they consult the Pentagon first. It's just a brilliant example of the kind of government that Washington would prefer Syria have, a puppet that does whatever it is told. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely uh, I it's definitely unnerving. I mean, how much power the uh, military-industrial complex in this country has over other foreign entities? I mean, well, not I, well, not just not just foreign entities. I I, I think yeah. uh, you know you raise the the amount of power they have. I would note also that that Trump is the third president in a row now who was elected on a relatively dovish foreign policy and then wound up bombing another country or going to war within his first term. Uh, well, people that, forget this now, but people forget this now because of everything that's happened. But when Bush was first elected and when Obama was first elected, both of them promised to try and end all these pointless conflicts overseas. And then the next thing you know, they get in there and all, within their first turn, within their first term, it's like some foreign policy machine takes over and immediately has them begin breaking all of their promises and going about with business as usual. Well, well, with with Trump, it seems 
it seems to be uh I find it oddly suspicious how all of his uh advisors, all of his good ad- good advisors were slowly replaced by neocons. So unlike unlike Mike Cernovich and uh some other individuals, I'm not actually mad at Trump for this because I think he's just doing what his advisors are, you know, are telling him to do. And I I don't think he has that many good advisors uh any anymore. Uh Mattis I think is one of them, but as you said uh, last night in a private chat, Mattis, I guess, may be on the way out soon. I think I think he I think he is because I think John Bolton, uh, John Bolton already threatened when he first was coming in as national security advisor that he was going to clean house, and uh, in the National Security Council. Uh, but uh, I think he's pushing very strongly to get Mattis out of there because the Mattis is the uh, lone voice of reason. Uh, and, and it's a bit ironic saying that because Mattis is a guy who's on record saying that uh, it's fun to shoot people. So it's gotten pretty bad when the guy who says it's fun to shoot people is the last sane man in the White House national security team. But, uh, but, um, well, 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 it kind of is though. I mean, he's, he's being honest about it and see that the, the thing I've always said about Mattis is, because people think that he would be a war hawk, and I'm like, no, Mattis just likes to to kill, um, you know, terrorists and evil motherfuckers who need to be uh, killed. But he's not because he's a warrior. He's not necessarily the same thing as like a neocon because warriors understand war, and uh, you know, you would think that McCain. Being a Vietnam vet would be a little bit more sympathetic, but I I think now he's been in politics longer than he ever was in the military, you know. Kind of whereas Mattis is the exact opposite. He's been in in the military for the vast majority of his life, and uh, you know. Well, now- well, well, with respect to McCain, you you know what they say: Tr- sound doesn't travel so well from the past. Um, so I I can't say for sure. Whether or not young McCain would approve, I have a hard time believing that the young John McCain would approve of half of the stuff we do now. Although yeah. I will say to McCain's credit, even though I disagree with the man on almost everything, I would say to his credit, because he was tortured by the uh, North Vietnamese, to his credit, he has been consistent in opposing uh, the uh, the use of torture by the U.S. military. Now, uh, you know, that's sort of undercut by the fact that he was A-OK with arming groups that tortured people and shot people's heads off. But, uh, you know, I guess if there's anything good to be said about him, it's that he was against the enhanced interrogation programs. Which, which, which coincidentally is, is an area where he and I actually disagree. I, I think that enhanced interrogation, it, it's not necessarily the same. Enhanced interrogation and torture are, are two complete, completely different things. But I, I would rather that we did it as opposed to foreign policy as opposed to, uh, you know, sending other governments or external agencies to do it, because uh, I've I've met some of, I've actually met some, well, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I've met some uh, people who were former, uh, you know, intelligence officers, and trust me, they have uh, ethics compared to some of the uh, other people, 
know, uh, I guess I guess my reply to that would be why torture anybody at all, either ourselves or having somebody do it. Uh, it's immoral. And as far as I understand, there's there's no evidence that actually suggests it gets us any valuable intel. People will just tell you anything to make you stop uh, torturing them. So, I mean, that would be that. But I think that's somewhat off topic from the, the main focus of our program today. Yeah. Um, I guess, uh, how do you think this will, will impact, uh, do you think this will impact Trump's reelection chances? Um, uh, well, uh, I'm glad you asked that question because it sort of ties back to a thought I had a few moments ago. You were talking about, uh, the influence of Trump's advisors, which I certainly think is a, uh, is a factor. Yeah. Uh, but I also, I also think Trump himself. Uh, at, the, at the end of the day, I think Donald only cares about Donald. And so, uh, obviously, because the media fawns over him, both left and right, CNN, Fox News, everybody in the media fawns over him whenever he decides to go and be a warmonger and bomb Syria. Uh, I think that Trump uh, wants desperately to distract from the increasingly widening uh, sexual and, uh, and uh, FBI-related scandals he has going on, and so of course, bombing Syria gets him uh, gets a little bit of uh, gets him a little of, a little bit of coverage for a little while on that front. Um, but whether it will impact his election, I don't know. I think that would be something for us to be concerned about going forward. Uh, you know, will will another chemical strike be launched uh, sometime before the 2020 election uh, by the terrorists, and then be used as an excuse to justify a war in order to win a second term? Uh, we know that uh, the rally around the flag effect certainly worked well for Bush. He was able to get the country to come behind him before going into Iraq in 2004. Uh, and in 2003, you know, it was leading up to the 2004 election. He was able to use the war in Iraq to, to rally support for himself at first. But, uh, you know, I, I think in the, in, the, in the shorter term, with respect to the midterms, I think this is going to actually help the Democrats because you see so many people within Trump's base splitting down the middle on this issue. And this demoralizes a great many people who voted for Trump specifically because they liked the fact he was not in favor of foreign adventurism with the military. Yeah, and I think this demoralizes a lot of them. They may sit home. They may not even go out and vote in the midterms. Uh, and then others may be so busy fighting each other, the, uh, you know, the, those who split down the middle on this issue. Mm -hmm that uh, the Democrats are able to come in and maybe siphon some off. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I definitely think it's going to have an impact on the midterms, along with some other uh, huge mistakes he's made in his first term so far, like the tax bill that I'm not too keen on, and the uh, fact that he seemingly has completely chosen to ignore his infrastructure promise, which I think will come back directly with respect to this issue because of all the money we wasted on those rockets last night that could have been spent on infrastructure spending. Um, so I think I think there will be an impact there. I don't know if this will affect the 2020 election, although I think there is reason for us to be concerned that uh, he could try using a, a war over there to boost his support going into 2020. I think that's a definite risk. Uh, but short term, I definitely think it'll impact the midterm elections. Yes. You you mentioned that he's worrying that he's worrying about all this sexual harassment stuff and the in the FBI stuff. Um, and. I would just have to say that it's ironic that it that if that's the case that he's using this to get in, to get in people's good graces because I, I don't know about you but no one I know 
really gives a crap anymore about the FBI or or Stormy Daniels. It, it, oh, don't get me don't get me wrong. I th- I think that this I think everything with James Comey and all that. I definitely think it's a sideshow to distract from real issues because so long as our leaders are all busy investigating all these silly, uh, almost soap opera-ish right, uh, yeah. scandals, as long as they're doing that, they can't actually, they don't actually have to discuss the real issues in our country that are concerning people like infrastructure and like ending the endless wars and like income inequality and all of that. Uh, they just get to focus on that and they get to ignore all of the real issues. I think that's definitely, a, I don't think many people care about that, but I think Trump understands that the uh, politi- those within the political class in this country definitely are making a, a case about that. And I think his, his the idea that he'll be able to permanently get them within his good, gra- get in their good graces by uh, doing what they want uh, on policy areas like Syria, I think it's, uh, it's a fallacy for him to think that. Because uh, as you know, yeah. as I said before, Mike Pence is much more of a neocon than Trump is. Mike Pence was eager to go to war in Syria back during the vice presidential debates when Trump was actually contradicting him still. So I think more than anything, uh, Trump should be worried about the fact that his vice president is more attractive to those who want him gone than his kowtowing to them is. Yeah. Well, and, and that, that's, that's what worries me too is, is even if Trump does appease the uh, the right left establishment in the military industrial complex, right? Even if he does go along, these are people who, at the end of the day, still don't like still don't like him. Who still hate his guts. Who probably wish that Hillary, you know, still won the the election. And so why he's why he's uh, choosing to kowtow them at least at the moment that's what it looks like it is beyond me i i really don't understand it although at the same time i don't i don't buy this uh notion either from the like the hardcore you know trump people who are saying oh he's just he's just playing you know this is all 40 chess it's like okay at, at what point are you guys going to stop using the 40 chess excuse you know for every move trump makes uh, I think the most frustrating thing uh, about Trump is the fact that he is Trump. And uh, by that, I mean, I saw, for example, last night uh, they were having, and I wasn't, I didn't, I had the, I always have the news running in the background. I don't actually watch it. It's just sort of force of habit. Right. Uh, I read, I read the most of my news, but I had the news running in the background last night uh, during the attacks. And uh, they had some talking heads on Fox news and Sebastian Gorka was one of them. And he was obviously pro uh, serious strikes, and there was some other guy who was against the serious strike, and the other guy was essentially raising all of the issues that we that our foreign interventionism has caused in the past. And Sebastian Gorka just kept saying, "Not with this president, not with this president." And you're sitting here just thinking, "Oh, well, I'm sorry, I, I forgot that Trump is uh, the God Emperor. Trump is infallible and can make no mistakes because of his golden hair." But uh, but yeah, that's the mentality I, I seem to get from from a lot of people. They're like, "Oh, well, he he knows what he's doing." Well, let's let's be honest at this point. I mean, and I and I've been, I think we've been honest on this program before pretty well. Trump isn't really a smart guy, all right. At, at the end of the day, I think he's an idiot who often just listens to his advisors who are around him and who acts on his impulses. I don't think there is any master plan. I don't think there's anything such thing as 4D chess. I don't think Trump even knows how to play normal chess. So, I uh, I, I think that at some point people who uh. People who are dis- who would be normally disappointed who supported him 
need to uh, need to be honest with themselves and admit that they're getting screwed, uh, just like a lot of the other people he's screwed over in the past. Yeah, well, I mean, and I, I've said this, the, the, the reason why, you know, the whole reason I voted for Trump wasn't necessarily because I liked Trump, but because I hated, you know, I hated Hillary more. And I mean, I've, I've always been, been pretty clear about that. And yet, you know, that was what, because just because we support, you know, Trump, we got, you know, canned from the previous publication that you and I were both at. Um, now, though, it seems as if, I mean, I don't want to make this conclusion yet, but Trump could very well be the same as Hillary in regards to uh, foreign policy. Oh, yeah, no, no, no doubt. But on the issue of foreign policy, what he did last night was the exact thing Hillary wanted to do. Uh, although she would have probably done it sooner. And uh, there is now essentially no difference between Trump's foreign policy and Hillary's foreign policy, or for that matter, Obama's foreign policy. Just like there was no difference between Obama's foreign policy and Bush's foreign policy. This is the same continuous Washington consensus that we've had for some time. Uh, and it's not working, quite frankly. It's, uh, it's, destru- it's quite destructive and it's quite dangerous uh, to peace. Yeah, I uh, I found an, I found an interesting interview um, yesterday. I I don't know how I how I stumbled upon this. I I was I was looking stuff up on uh, Syrian Trump and uh, you know politics. I I just kind of threw in like a a a mash a mashup of things into Google and uh, interesting interesting enough, I I found this. Uh, interview from play from playboy magazine of all of all places uh with uh oh who's oh jerry springer and uh jerry springer was actually i i couldn't believe it but this this interview was actually pretty well written and uh springer made the case and keep in mind this interview is 30 something years old now but he basically made the uh the statement that uh, absolute that absolute power corrupts. That if you get into politics, no matter what your intentions are, the longer you're in power, uh, the more it will corrupt you. And uh, you know, unfortunately, I think we're seeing that with Trump. I think he did, you know, run maybe with noble noble intentions, but also because of who Trump is. I think, you know, the, the power of the presidency is perhaps corrupting him at a faster rate than we initially thought. But that's just kind of my theory. I don't think, I don't think it's just the, I think that's obvious. I think that's certainly the case. Uh, but I don't think it's just the presidency. I think that that's a, a very systemic problem. Uh, you know, for example, the fact that we don't have term limits for members of Congress. And so you have people like Lindsey Graham who have been sitting there for years saying that we need to be everywhere all the time, bombing everyone everywhere. And, uh, you know, I, I think that part of the reason you see so much uh, opposition from the Washington establishment on both the left and the right to the implementation of term limits is precisely because uh, a good, I don't know if I would say it would completely wipe the military industrial complex out. I don't think it would. But I think if you impose term limits and cleaned house with Congress and got a whole bunch of new people in there, I think you would instantly see at least some weakening of the military industrial complex and the Washington consensus. Obviously there would still be issues. We need to make uh, 
immense uh we need to take a lot of action in terms of campaign finance reform so that they so that these corporations that are constantly in favor of war uh cannot be buying out all of our politicians but i think term limits would be a huge step in the right direction definitely yeah i mean ter- i mean term limits are uh, a big part are a big part of this also uh you know i i hate to say this but vet but veterans affairs reform you know is also needed that's something i've been talking on the show for you know well shoot almost a decade since i've started uh doing this too you know the 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 va system i hate to sound like like a you know pessimist but i think that subconsciously that the va likes having wounded veterans because it keeps them in, in business somewhat and uh you know some some of these veterans are forced to to work within the system um so you know right now it's just just airstrikes but i'm hoping that we won't have to put you know soldiers on the ground in syria i i think uh you know going back to what i started out with saying i think and i would i would urge all of your listeners to definitely keep that in their prayers and to call their representatives, write their representatives, call the White House, write the White House, uh, do whatever you can to make your voice heard. But I would definitely say that going forward, one of the biggest threats uh, to world peace would be what happens if another chemical, and and there's no doubt about it in my mind, there will be at some stage in the future, there will be another staged chemical weapons attack. Because you and I both know and as I mentioned earlier on with the program, Nikki Haley, by her own admission this morning, warning them if another one happens, which would in- indicate that she knows that the possibility is still there because we weren't bombing uh, chemical weapons facilities last night because there were none. Uh, I think the greatest risk is another staged chemical weapons attack that will be blamed on the Syrian government and used as justification for starting a war. There's no doubt in my mind. So, sorry, so sorry to interject. I should have asked this like at the beginning of the interview, but... But if we didn't if we didn't bomb uh, chemical plants, what the hell did we bomb? Do we even know at this point what we what we? Well, we know what we told. There, there. We know we were what we've been told that we bombed. Uh, for example, uh, the Syrian International Airport in Aleppo. Obviously, that was bombed. Uh, there was in Damascus, Syria. We ban we bombed the. Uh, forgive me if I get the name wrong, but it was something to the effect of the the Syrian National Institute for Sciences, which, according to uh, to our government was a chemical weapons research facility. I, I kind of doubt it, but uh, what what we were striking at primarily was Syrian airfields because this was the original, this was the original uh, goal that was presented to Trump. He was told by Mattis and others that the airstrike should focus on wiping out the Syrian Air Force. Uh, that has not happened thanks to the fact that uh, Trump tweeted about it the other day, uh, which, in my opinion, just shows that he's not quite as bright as people think he is, although there are definitely people out there who are saying, oh, it was 4D chess. But um, the Syrian military was able to move a lot of their airplanes in the time between Trump's tweets about a strike coming and last night. Uh, Not only that, but the Syrian Air Defense Forces were able to take out with their surface-to-air missiles a good chunk of the Tomahawk cruise missiles that would have otherwise hit their, uh, their assets. But we definitely did damage to their airfields, which will hamper any attempts to uh, launch those airplanes for a little while, at least until the tarmacs are repaired. And uh, and the the great risk there is, as I said earlier, that is that the Syrian Air Force has been uh, with using conventional weapons, you know, using normal bombs, 
has been the Syrian government's greatest asset in the war against terrorists so far, because that's how they've been able to uh, claim victory. Uh, you know, last night it was reported uh, that uh, ISIS and terrorist forces were attacking, I believe, and forgive me if I butcher the name again, the Yarmouk uh, encampment right outside of Damascus. I've not seen anything beyond the initial uh, reports from journalists in the area about that, but I'll be looking into that more today. I would encourage all of your listeners to do that as well. But uh, the we, we, we were hitting essentially last night Syrian air assets. That's what they were trying to take out. They want to because it's it's believed that if you take out the Syrian Air Force, then the uh, quote unquote rebel groups will have a better time uh, overthrowing the regime. You know, it was sort of the same deal in Libya. What uh, what doomed Gaddafi? Well, it was the no fly zone because he wasn't able to get his air force off the ground to allow his forces on the ground to overpower the uh, rebels and terrorists he was fighting. Which which let's be clear on this too. I mean, we we talked about this on the last po- podcast. You're not necessarily a fan of okay. Let's talk about um, but Bashir Al Assad because I think the last time you you were on, uh, some listeners maybe got the got the impression that you were a, a fan of uh, Al Assad, and I I want to make clear that uh, neither of us are necessarily fans of Al Assad. Here's here's my here's what I think of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. I think, obviously, Syria is a dictatorship. I uh, do not think that they have, uh, by any means, an ideal record on human rights. But they do have freedom of religion. As I mentioned earlier, the, there are more uh, religious minorities living in Syria than anywhere else in the Middle East. Uh, they do this better than even Israel does. As uh, I've, I don't know if you've ever, if I've ever discussed with you, sure, on your on your show before, but uh, Syria, but Israel is not exactly friendly with their Christian population, especially not Palestinian Christians. Yeah, uh, yeah, we can know. So, but but, to, but to the original that. point, the original point about Assad, yes, the uh, I am uh, supportive of the Syrian government, so uh, primarily because they are fighting terrorists. There are no moderate rebel groups at this point. And I think uh, Rani Akalik, she is an American uh, journalist who's reported extensively on this. She put it best on Twitter just this morning, saying, uh, she said something to the effect of, if you're afraid of uh, defending the Syrian government because you're afraid of being called an Assadist when the Syrian government is the only group on the ground over there actively fighting terrorists, then you shouldn't be involved in this debate at all because you're obviously more interested in pushing an agenda than you are in defeating terrorists. I'm not necessarily a fan of Bashar al-Assad. I think that, but I do think that the Syrian people should be the ones to determine who is going to govern their country and what the future of their country is. And we've not been seeing that in the Syrian civil war. We've been seeing outside groups who are armed and funded by uh, outside countries come in and try and overthrow the regime. And that's wrong. That would be the equivalent of, uh, you know, what, how would America react if uh, Russia or uh, Germany uh, started arming and funding and training and shipping over groups of armed combatants with the stated intention of taking over our government and then pretending it was a civil war. Right, right, exactly. Well, I mean, that's it's kind of the same case in, I, in Iraq, too. You know, we, uh, you know, the government was so hell on taking out Saddam Hussein, and granted, I mean, he was 
he was a sick bastard, no, no doubt. But but removing him from power created a power vacuum, which got filled by ISIS and all these other radical groups. So you have to think that if Assad gets removed from power, what's to stop the same thing from happening there that happened in Iraq? It's even more likely to happen yeah. in Syria. It's even more likely to happen in Syria because if you look at the situation with Iraq in 2003, there was not a civil war grow- going on and there were not multiple different groups fighting inside of the country. It was pretty uh, cut and dried, straight straightforward at the beginning. It was the Iraqi government versus the coalition forces. Uh, and then, and then uh, in Syria, when you look at it, you have the Syrian government, you have God knows how many Islamist terror groups on the ground, you have the Kurds, you have now in the northern half of the country, the invading Turkish forces, and then you have armies of uh, convicts that have been released by Saudi Arabia from their prisons on the condition that they go and fight in Syria. Uh, not even mentioning the Chechens that have been pouring, the, the Islamist militants from Chechnya that have been pouring into the country either. You have people from all over the world fighting with all different kinds of groups in Syria, and it's much more of a, forgive my language, but it's much more of a cluster F than it is uh, than Iraq ever was. So the, the idea that you would somehow be able to avoid the mistakes of Iraq and Syria is just asinine, because the situation in Iraq going in was a hell of a lot more stable than the situation today in Syria is. If you oh, took the Syrian government out today, rest assured things would get worse. Oh yeah, totally. And uh, you know, and, and and by the way, you can you can curse you can curse on my show too. I know. I just trying not to. I was going to, and then I caught myself there. Right. But, I, well, no, well, no. I, I, well, no. I, I've been, I've been trying to kind of cut down, down on that too. But, I mean, the thing of it is, I don't, I don't take YouTube dollars. So, especially since they, uh, since they banned uh, Owen Benjamin from YouTube. But that's that's all another story for another time. Uh, I guess, you know, finishing up this whole conversation about. Uh, Syria, and this is going to kind of, I don't really know if, if we can answer this yet, but, but do you see any outcome right now to this scenario where thing, where things won't devolve into an e- even bigger mess? Uh, it, I mean, is, is there a way to fix this whole situation? Well, there is a way to fix the situation. Uh, I don't think it'll happen. Uh, because at this point, I think we're too, we've already gone, Trump's already gone too far down the path of escalation to take this route. But here is what, uh, you know, what I would suggest. And, uh, and, let, and let me be clear also, even though, uh, even though I think he's gone too far down, it's never too late to, to try and turn around, I, th- I think. But he, he could, I don't think he will. But here's what needs, what should be done. Uh, first, as Trump originally has tried to say twice now, right before each uh, chemical attack coincidentally occurred, uh, we should get out of Syria. We don't have a stake in this conflict. Syria poses no threat to us. There is no American interest that is actually at risk in Syria. And uh, second of all, after America withdraws, we should work diplomatically with the United Nations to try and restart peace talks. Uh, there were several rounds of peace talks with the UN that have broken down and evolved. Uh, funnily enough, at one point a few years ago, Russia actually offered to uh, try and pressure Assad into stepping down and letting somebody else within the Syrian government take things over uh, for the purposes of uh, procuring a peace deal. And the United States, under Obama at the time, actually rejected this offer, saying, no, the entire Syrian government's got to be scrapped, which says quite a bit about what the actual goals of the U.S. in this whole deal are. 
Uh, but definitely get out of Syria and start restart the United Nations, the UN peace talks uh, in the in the conflict, because that is the only way you're going to achieve a peaceful outcome here. Uh, that said, though, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Trump's going to do that. I think that uh, following the attacks last night, we have already escalated the conflict too much for uh, for Trump to try and do that. And the fact that he's already gone with the uh, establishment narrative that it was the Syrian government who carried out these attacks, even though he has no evidence, it would be all but impossible for him to go back on his position now without him looking like somebody who was uh, siding with, by in his own words, a quote-unquote gas-killing monster. Yeah, well, and and uh, so with that, folks, that uh, pretty much concludes our uh, interview on that happy and uplifting note. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anyway, though, uh, Josh, thanks for coming on. And uh, where can we find you on social media? Are you still on Twitter? I actually uh, left Twitter for a little while. Uh, and the reason why was because I, I joined Twitter when I was in junior high. And so I had the, uh, the problem of uh, following back everybody who followed me, which became inconvenient after a while because my Twitter feed was just full of crap that I didn't care about. And there were too many people for me to unfollow. Uh-huh. So I deleted my Twitter account for a while. And I am back now, though. Uh, you can follow me at uh, J Johnson underscore news. Same handle as last time, except instead of AW, it is now news after the underscore. Uh, I'm also on uh, Facebook, where you can subscribe on our American Watchman page. And on Instagram, I believe, at official Joshua Johnson 2016 or uh, Joshua Johnson 2016 or something like that. But And, uh, and, and uh, have, have you been writing pieces for american watchmen lately i know i know people can go and find your work in this podcast i need uh, i need to, i need to do a better job of getting a few columns out i've been silent for the last uh, few weeks yeah well, uh, not because of some personal issues i had going on but i should have a piece coming out soon yes yeah well we, we well we we both need to you know start writing to actually start writing uh content but yeah go and check out american watchmen uh to You'll be able to read uh, Josh's past columns and and some mine too. So, um, but anyway, Josh, uh, thanks as always for coming on the podcast and uh, you know making sense of this whole foreign policy debacle. I, I really appreciate it. So, thank you. It's good to be on the show again. And uh, folks, we'll be right back after this. And with that, we are back. That was a uh, that was a pre-recorded interview. I forgot to uh, I forgot to label that as a pre-recorded interview. You'll have to uh, forgive me, folks. I'm I'm still learning my way around uh, OBS. Producer Canabear still well. Producer Canabear is let's be honest he's he's producing content for the whole entire uh, unbearables team mostly and uh, unfortunately he's not around he, he has been giving me tips though on how to use OBS so uh you know bit of a rocky start to the show but overall I think it's gone really well I, I do want to get to some of the comments here uh bicentennial bear in the stream says uh trust the president he has he has the right let me pull up this uh window 
He has the right people in our military defense team. Don't be so quick to jump ship. Uh, Bicentennial, I don't... I'm not jumping ship um, quite yet. My, my whole point being, at the very least, is that this operation... I don't, I don't want it to become another 10-year war like the, like the Iraq war became. I do think that there are uh, foreign interests out there that I, I do think that there are interests within our own government and uh, you know foreign multinational corporations that would like to uh, you know, see us in endless wars. I do think that that type of thing does exist. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not quite at the level that Mike, that Mike Cernovich is yet, where I'm kind of indifferent, but where I'm kind of indifferent, you know, as to whether or not Trump gets elected. I still think foreign policy-wise, as well as domestically, Trump is a hell of a better president than Clinton would have ever been. And I, I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to back away from saying that. Um but at the same time I, I do think that you know Trump one of Trump's big appeals among libertarians was the fact that he wasn't necessarily a non-interventionalist, but that he, uh, you know, but that he didn't believe in uh, fighting big foreign wars, which I, I think, you know, anyone with common sense believes that, yeah, we shouldn't be, fight, be fighting wars all the time either. Uh, so Syria is a very complex uh, issue, and there's not a lot that we can, uh, you know, right now, people on Twitter are saying that World War Three is starting. And, you know, some of those people, obviously, they're posting memes and being funny about it. But then we also have people who are being realistic. I don't think we're at World War Three. uh I think to say that we're headed towards World War Three is uh, premature. At you know, to put it nicely, it's you know premature at best. At worst, it's asinine to say that. Um, Chuberica says we have a, a real warrior leading our our military right now. This is a perfect time to get as much accomplished. As possible. I, I, again, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with this. But, but part of being a good warrior is, uh, you know, to get in, get out, and get the mission accomplished. Um, you know, instead of dragging wars out, is not a good military strategy. I mean, I'm I'm no, I'm not a, I'm not a soldier, obviously. And I'm, granted, I'm not as up on uh, military tactics and whatnot, but fighting an endless war like we were in the Middle East was not a good strategy. Um, 
you know, you do need a, it's like, it's just like a business. You, you need a solid plan and you need to execute it and just get it done. Uh, also, oh, Chewbacca also brings up a good point. Uh, I also find it odd that all the, all the, uh, MSM Russian collusion talk has evaporated into thin air. Mmm. I, I don't know. I don't, Chewbacca, I don't, I really don't find that odd. Um, most likely what will happen is... The, the Russia talk will be will be back, B- believe me you. I've noticed that the media t- likes to take breaks from that every once in a while. They, they like they like to change it up. First it's a uh, Russian collusion. Next it's uh, Stormy Daniels. Uh, you know. Who knows? They might bring back the whole Russia piss thing. I mean, the media has so many non-stories regarding Trump that they like to cycle through that it is somewhat ridiculous. Um, And that's what they're going to do. They're they're going to keep focusing on non-stories. Uh, and real quick, for for all of you out there who are on the alt-right, who are saying that somehow that the Jews are responsible for the for this conflict in the uh, the Middle East, I've already blocked a lot of you, but feel free to uh, to just block me or hide me from your profile because anti-Semitism will not stand. And furthermore, there's no evidence to suggest that the, the Jews, as you like to uh, scoffly say, are behind this. Uh, hey, Island Bear, welcome, welcome to the stream. Um, in other news, the, the Mark Zuckerberg thing, um, Chuberica was talking earlier about the Russiagate thing evaporating into thin air, but what about the, uh, what about the, uh, Mark Zuckerberg congressional hearing, huh? That came and went in... Well, it right now in the news, it's kind of uh, died like a, a wet fart, so to speak. I mean, no one's really talking about it anymore. So, uh, that's that. And uh, I want to thank you guys for watching the uh, the show tonight. Uh, hey, Dylan, there for for uh, thank you for jumping in here as well. I want to thank uh, Bicentennial Bear. Uh, Berta Bear, Chewbarica. Uh let's see, Erwin er- Benjamin, of course, who was spam, who was, you know, pretty much spamming, uh, Chris Adams, uh, is Chris one of the bears? 
I I don't think I I don't think I've seen him before. Um, well, I I I think I've seen him. Yeah. Uh, Southern Bear was in here under her real name, and then of course uh, Canna Bear, who I hope you're uh, getting good sleep. Also, apologies to John Neary, who uh, I guess started a stream uh, during my stream. And I doubt that, well, I mean, I know he kind of has his, his own audience, but we also share an audience. So, John, if, you're, if your audience uh, on your stream was lower tonight than uh, usual, I apologize. They were probably all over here watching me and uh, watching Joshua Johnson, who, who I've been trying to convince to uh, join the unbearables too he doesn't really understand what the what the bearers are but uh I'll I'll convince him to, to join soon enough uh also uh to answer your question from the chat earlier yeah yes uh bicentennial I actually am uh on gab uh so that that concludes tonight's show. Real quick, uh, I it's time to plug. Uh, so if you like this video on YouTube, uh, you know, share, like, comment, subscribe. If you're on Periscope, obviously, uh, you know, tap the screen to give it hearts and uh, quote retweet and all that stuff. You can find me uh, online at any of uh, these locations down here. You can follow me uh, on Twitter at SamW underscore NGC, although I think I'm shadow banned right now. Uh, apparently, uh, from, what, from what I understand, shadow banning is when people who follow you can uh, see your tweets, but no one else can. That's kind of my understanding. I, I don't know if I'm shadow banned. I I thought I was shadow banned earlier this week, but then I wasn't, but eh, who knows. I'm also on uh, Gab at Sam Whitfield, where I'm actually verified uh, because I'm a pro user over there, and uh, it, it's worth going going pro. It's it's uh, $60 a year, 30 if you're a student, which is how I'm doing it. And uh, it helps to keep Gab up and running. And uh, contrary to what you'll hear about Gab, it's not an entirely uh, alt-right platform. There are a lot of, uh, you know, CD characters on there. But there are also a lot of liberty-minded individuals who are just sick of the censorship on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, another good place to find me, interestingly enough, on social is Instagram. Uh, that's one of the places where I can post stuff, and that never gets censored. Although, I don't really post political stuff. I post more like food and music and photography over there. You can subscribe to the podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And so on and so forth. And uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, I, I bid you all adieu.
Good night, God bless, God save this great nation, and thank you for watching the Whitfield Report. We will see you next week.